Well, we are in the book of Jonah. Uh, this series is going to sort of build on itself, so I've got to do some recap. You may want to catch if you miss a sermon. Um, but this is also a sermon you may want to follow along in your Bible. So you can either pull one up on your phone, or you may want to grab a, a, a Bible out of the pew or bring a Bible to church. Um, but you, you may want to follow along as we're doing little bit of, of uh, verse by verse kind of through this book. Last week we began with Jonah. We began with Jonah actually vomited up out of a fish on a dry land and we talked about well how did this smelly thing get to this place where he had spent this time in a fish and then was now out of the fish. The story began when the Lord told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and they were incredibly cruel and violent um, historians basically call them a terrorist state. I mean, it was, it was a, they were pretty awful, the things that they would do to people. And so we're not told why, but we, we can make some assumptions maybe about why Jonah doesn't want to go there. Well, instead of going there, Jonah goes down to the city of Joppa on the coast, and then he goes, pays the ferry, goes down into a boat. And we said one of the words that, that uh, is used a lot here is the word down. That when you run away from God's will, you're always going down. So he goes down, he goes down into this boat, heading to Tarshish, which was a very wealthy place very far away from Nineveh. It runs the opposite way. And they're sailing on the Mediterranean Sea, and the text says that God hurls a wind at the ship. I love this image of God taking wind and going fastball this wind right at the ship. And the, the sea starts to get all churned and, and waves start so that the boat is about ready to rip apart. And these sailors who are professional sailors, but they are not Jewish. They worship and pray to all kinds of other gods, uh, get worried that this is going to fall apart. The ship is going to just tear up. And so they go down and find Jonah and he's sleeping down in the middle of the boat. And they ask him, what is going on? And Jonah tells them a little bit of his story. And eventually they say to Jonah, well, what are we supposed to do to calm these seas down? And Jonah says, throw me overboard, which seems really brave. But the, but the alternative is Jonah could have said, okay, God, I'm sorry. Jonah could have said, okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh. But Jonah instead says, throw me overboard. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to repent, and he really doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He'd rather die in the sea. And let's call it what it is. It's really like a suicide. I would rather die in the sea than tell God I would go back to the place that I really don't want to go to. So the, the, these, these fishermen, these um, sailors, they, they, they pray finally to God. They try to avoid it, but they pray to God and say, let not this, this man's blood be on our hands. And this is amazing, right? Because these are pagan sailors that are now praying to the one true God. So here we have this prophet who didn't want to go do what God told him to. And because he went in the opposite direction, now people are worshiping the one true God in the opposite direction. It's like he's a good prophet whether he wants to be or not. Hey, people are finding God when he's in the wrong place. So they throw him overboard, and the text says that God appointed a great fish to swallow him up. Now, I want to say a couple of things about this. I didn't get to say much last week about this. This is not a whale. 
Okay, the, the Hebrew word for whale is different than the word for fish. They kind of understood that. Whale is this real attempt that we've had in the last couple hundred years to try to make this scientifically a more plausible story, right? Oh, a whale breathes air, so maybe if Jonah's in a whale, then he has some air, he can breathe for three days. The problem with that is whales don't have air in their stomachs. They have air in their lungs. They're mammals like you. You don't have air in your stomachs either. And so um, the idea that just because it's a whale makes it much less, a less miraculous, more plausible story doesn't actually scientifically work either. This is a miraculous story. And the word really is fish. So Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Then he prays to God, and that is where we are today. We're in Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to look at the prayer that Jonah says from the belly of the fish. But to understand this prayer, we've we got to do a little bit more work. Because this prayer comes out of Jonah's understanding of the world, what we might call his cosmology. Okay? I practiced all week to make sure I didn't say cosmetology, okay? <laughs> cosmology, okay? How is the world set up? So you in your head have this understanding of the world being this round ball, right? With an ozone layer and then space and stars are really far away and we're seeing their light from along, right? They didn't know any of that in Jonah's day. They didn't know any of that. So they didn't think of the world the way you think of the world. And Jonah's prayer comes out of his understanding of the world. So you gotta, you got to get a little bit of this world. And, and it started in Genesis. In Genesis 1, there is this chaos. The world is just this chaotic sort of mess. It's chaotic waters. And, and uh, then what, what God does is he creates light, but then he separates the waters. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate water from water. So we often, when we read that at first, we say, oh, God's separating the water, and then what's he going to do next? Put the land. So he's taking this, the waters, and he's making an ocean over here, and an ocean over here, and land in the middle. But that's not what Genesis is saying. Okay? Then, here's Genesis 1, verse 7. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that are under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was, and he called the expanse of waters heaven. So in your bulletin, I actually gave you some pictures of this just to try to help you understand this. They had this understanding that the world was like a flat thing. It's like a disk. Okay? And then what God did was he separated all the waters. So there were waters above the earth, and there were waters below the earth. And then real low underneath of all those waters were the chaotic waters that were, that were uncreated. Okay, and God sort of made this dome over the earth that held back the waters, and there were floodgates. So if it rained, God was opening the floodgates. They thought water was in the sky, and they thought stars and stuff were actually hanging from this firmament, this, this, this sort of dome that was there. And then underneath of the earth were all these other waters, right, sky and sea. And how did the earth sit there? Well, they believe that the mountains were sort of like buoys that helped the world float and then had foundations that went from the mountains down into this chaotic underworld that uh, would hold this disk of the world up. Okay, And underneath of the world was this area called Sheol. Sheol was where you went when you died. 
Okay, Sheol was this sort of underworld. And below that was Sheol then went into all this chaos. Okay, that the sort of the uncontrolled uh, waters of creation, like beyond creation. And if you got down there, you could never get back up. You were stuck there forever. And the chaos of this world was, was often depicted in art as being like a dragon or a sea monster. We, dragon's a later world, where it'd be like this great fish or a serpent. One of the things about serpents is they move in chaotic ways, right? Isn't that what kind of grosses us out about snakes? Their head's over there, their tail's over there, and they're doing something right here in the middle. That's totally chaos. Okay? Snakes are the ultimate representation of chaos. And so there's sort of this sea monster that represents down below in Sheol. So can you see in the pictures? There's like three different pictures of this. Um, and so um, this is why in a lot of art of Jonah, look at all these pictures of Jonah. Aren't these weird-looking fish? Okay, even the cover of your bulletin. It's a weird-looking fish, right? Because it's, like a, it's more like a sea monster. Okay, it's more like this creature from down below. This is not like a fish you see every day. This is a fish way down in the depths. And then they believed that the center of the world, whether physically or spiritually, was Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was where the heavens above kind of connected down. You can see that on the, the front of that. There's like a, you can see a, a kind of a real dome. You can see light coming down from heaven to a spot on earth. That's the temple. Okay, so this is the understanding that Jonah has as he prays this prayer. Okay, that he is in the oceans, which are on the sides of the world, and he is sinking down towards Sheol. Now, I, I think having that understanding, you're going to be able to understand this prayer rather quickly. Okay, but if you don't have that understanding, it's, it's a lot of weird imagery. So let me start in Jonah 1.17, and then I'm just going to read a few verses and talk about them, and we'll work through this rather quickly. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Those are two other words you hear a lot in this, in this uh, book. The word great and the word appointed. A lot of stuff got appoints. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, out of the belly, uh, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your spirit, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So this prayer is like a psalm. Okay, it's, it's, it's actually organized just like a psalm of thanksgiving or praise. The imagery is actually a lot out of what a, a lot of what David wrote. Normally a psalm involves an introduction, a distress that's described, a deliverance that's described, and then a conclusion, normally with some kind of vows or promise to God. You're going to see all those pieces here. So Jonah prays this prayer of praise uh, three days after three days in the fish. Much of his language sounds like these Psalms of David. What's, what's he talking about? He calls out from the underworld. He's so deep, he's heading towards Sheol. The waves, the billows, the seaweed, all the stuff that we can see in the sea because, before scuba diving, right? Before submarines. All the stuff he sees above him, and it fades away. No more waves, no more billows. He's sinking into the deep. 
Okay. And he's getting deeper and deeper. And then from the deep, he says, yet again, I will look on your holy temple. In other words, yet again, I'm going to make it back to the middle of the land. Right. I'm going to make it back to God's presence. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. You, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. Okay, so he's heading down. He's heading down to this chaos at the bottom, sometimes called the pit at the foundations of the mountains, these places that are helping to hold up the mountains from there. He's going down, and the bars, these, the idea of the bars that closed me, that's a metaphor, but it was based on the understanding that once you got down that deep, once you were in the chaos of the underworld like this, you were never making it out. Sea world, the seas, the um, seaweed's grabbing him. He's going to get stuck down here at the root of the mountains. And yet he says, God... The Lord will bring me up from the pit. It is funny that he calls God Lord. Is that funny to anybody else? You're here because you totally ran away from God. Right? Like, you call him Lord, but not enough to listen to him. You call him Lord, but not enough to do what he says. And now you end up here calling him Lord. Uh, just like, rather ironic. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So the text says, Jonah remembered. He remembered Remembered God, all of a sudden he remembered the Lord, took him long enough, right? And then he critiques those who pay regard to vain idols. Okay, maybe he is here referring to Nineveh. Maybe he's thinking of the Ninevites as he's critiquing even from the fish. But he says they forsake their hope and steadfast love. Maybe he is critiquing Nineveh, but, 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 but the, the psalm of thanksgiving then ends here with a vow. He promises to do whatever he vows to God and says that salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's a wonderful prayer. When you understand the imagery, it's this, this bringing back from the dead. It's this, I was in the underworld. It was over, and God, you saved me. And God responds by commanding the fish to vomit Jonah out onto the dry land. By the way, Nobody ever talks about this, but I feel a little bad for the fish. Does anybody else? Three days of undigested Jonah swimming around. But he listens, and he spits Jonah back out onto the dry land. Now, now as we think about this prayer then, there, there's three things I want to point out that are rather interesting about this prayer. One is a clear omission from the prayer. One is the timing of the prayer. One is the location of the prayer. First, the clear omission from the prayer. There's something that should be in this prayer that is not. An apology. There's no confession. There's no apology. Some Bibles even call this a prayer of repentance. 
that Jonah is repenting. But I just read you the prayer. Did you hear any repentance? I didn't, there's no repentance. Jonah is not sorry he left. He is not sorry that this didn't, like, he has no promise to go to Nineveh. Like, he doesn't even mention Nineveh. Actually, what he says is, what I vow now, I will do. God already told you to do something, right? God already gave you a mission, and you have, there's nothing in this prayer about going back to that mission. He just says, what I vow now. Like, this is your chance. Jonah has had chance after chance, actually, right? God tells him, he goes to the boat. There's a storm. This is Jonah's chance to repent. Go the other way. He says, throw me overboard. He could have remembered God in the prayer, but he didn't. He waited. So what's, what's clearly missing is repentance. He's not sorry. He does no promise to actually do what God already told him to do. After everything he's been through, he still doesn't want to go to Nineveh. This leads us to our second kind of interesting thing here, the telling timing of the prayer. It has been three days. Three days and three nights. I might have prayed on day one. Anybody else? Right? I might have prayed, I don't know, right away. But Jonah doesn't pray for three days and three nights. He just sits in the fish. We're not, we don't know what he does. But what we say is, he remembered. What does he say? He says in the prayer, I remembered, I remembered God. I called out to God. Three days later, dude. <laughs> like, what did you do for three days? I think Jonah, I think he's just waiting to die. I think for three, this, is, this should tell you something about Jonah's heart. He prays. He prays this wonderful prayer, but it's not a prayer of repentance, and it took him three days to get there. How hard is your heart that you sit in a fish for three days before you finally start praying to God, and you don't even do the whole repentance thing? Okay? What is going on in his heart? And still, the text hasn't totally told us why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, but we know now he really doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Now, we can say a few things about why, what, what reasons I don't think he has. We can't say that he's afraid. Okay? Because it's pretty brave to go the opposite way of God's will. It's pretty brave to tell a bunch of people to throw you overboard. It's pretty brave to go through what he's gone through. It's not that he's, he's not a chicken. Okay? We also can't say that it's not that Jonah doesn't know God or he doesn't believe in God. Okay? He prays a prayer that is based in the Psalms. He knows the Psalms. He knows the right words to talk about God. He critiques people who put their, their faith in vain idols. This is a man of faith. It's not that he doesn't have faith either. So why, why does he not want to go to Nineveh this bad? And again, the text hasn't told us. It's not till chapter 4 that we start really getting the why behind this. But I just want to note the timing here. Three days in the fish until finally he's like, I remember the Lord. And I think that's ridiculous. And I also have done that so many times in my life that I also can I kind of identify with. Man, I've been going through a lot. Maybe I should pray. I don't know. I'm a pastor. You'd think that would come quicker. But sometimes we're all so hard-headed and hard-hearted that it takes a little bit of fish digestion for us to come to our senses, I guess. Third, I, wanna, I, wanna pay, I want you to pay attention to the shocking 
location of the prayer. This is the most amazing part of this prayer. Where is he? He's in the belly of the fish. Okay? He prays a prayer of thanksgiving and praise sitting in the belly of the fish. Okay? I normally like to thank God when it's over. Right? I like to thank God when I'm through it and it's all done. Till then, I'm like, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help. But here he is thanking God from the belly of the fish. So what are we to make of that? Well, I think there's two things going on here, and, and both are important to sort of notice and we often miss. One is, we tend to think of the fish as part of God's punishment for Jonah. Okay, but when you read the prayer, what's Jonah afraid of? He, the prayer doesn't even talk about the fish. He's scared of Sheol. He's scared of the underworld. He's scared of death and never being able to come back. So isn't it interesting that actually, for Jonah, the fish saves him. The fish isn't punishment. The fish swallows him so he doesn't keep going to Sheol. And so in some ways, God has already saved him from the Sheol because he's now in the fish. The fish is actually part of God's salvation. And there's a huge lesson here because, because there's so often when God saves us from things and it doesn't feel like he's saving us from things. God gets us out of a terrible workplace or a broken relationship or all kinds where, where we feel like God is punishing us, but maybe God is saving us from something that's way worse than the thing he's using to save us. The idea that sometimes God could use something bad to bring healing and wholeness, that's the, that's the cross, everybody. That's very Christian. On the other hand, we need to note on this prayer that Joseph, that, that Jonah is still in the fish. He's not on dry land yet, and yet he's believing. Right? Part of it is, Lord, you've saved me from Sheol. But part of the prayer is also looking forward and saying, someday I'm going to see Jerusalem again. Someday I'm going back to the temple. What does it look like if we took this idea seriously? That instead of praying, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help, what if we started to actually pray, thank you, Lord, for the deliverance you're going to bring for me? That changes your prayer life dramatically. If instead of asking God for stuff, you start thanking God for what you believe he's already going to do. Now, I don't want to sound like we're controlling God. There's, there's a whole prosperity gospel thing that's very popular right now, and it's popular on TV where you, you name it and claim it. You, you pray it, and God's going to give it to you. I, I don't think that. But I do think if you start praying, thanking God for stuff he hasn't given you yet, it'll really change your heart and your attitude. There's a huge amount of room you can, you can say here to say, oh, man, Lord, I believe you're going to do something about this. And I thank you that I'm going to be so excited when I see the answer. So we still have a long way to go with Jonah. We still don't know why he ran away. We, we still don't know why it took him three days to remember the Lord. We... But we can learn today from the gratitude of his prayer for him being thankful from the fish. And maybe, maybe you're going through something right now and, and God's already saving you. You just haven't really realized it yet. This is a great time to be thankful for God who's, who's working to save you. Or maybe we need to open ourselves up to God's salvation surprising us. Start thinking about God before he gives us what we're asking for. So, so here's my challenge to you this week. Try that. Try praying 
Like pick something in your life that you are waiting for, that you are wondering about, that you are nervous about, and start praying for it in prayers of gratitude, in prayers of hope, instead of prayers of doubt and question and worry. Pray for those things that God hasn't done for you yet, as if God has already done them. Call out like Jonah to your distress and see what God does. And see what God does.